we were gonna do this in person. Yeah. Oh, I could slap Peter for making fun of my bald wife. But, <laughs> but we couldn't get the tech figured out. We, so. We'll get it figured out. I'm a little. Yeah. You know, we're I'm not, not worried about it. We're gonna have tr- time to troubleshoot some things. Yeah. So we're There's still. We're gonna be live and in person. I thought, yeah, since it is the, the book Oscars, if you haven't read the title of this episode, I was gonna wear. I don't have a tuxedo, but I was thinking, if I wore a tie, that'd be pretty nice. That'd be cool. See, that'd be. Fun. I was gonna. And then we live with it. It's. We really should be have been doing these in person since the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah. I could walk over to Peter's house. So I was gonna throw in a tracksuit and mm. a little backpack with my stuff, and I was gonna get my little. I have a ritual. I always drink some sort of unhealthy drink during the show. Ooh, yeah. Gonna take my sugar-free Coca-Cola Dream World. What's that about? Uh, it's kind of gross, but it's on sale at the store I go to, so I buy it. Only for the sh- I don't. It's it tastes weird. It's kind of gross, but oddly compelling, much like myself. Right. So uh, anyway, I was gonna throw this in there, and we're gonna go do a live and in-person episode. We're gonna tack on March nominations at the end. So I had three. I was gonna hand you my nominations and be like, okay, what about this? What about this? So, I, did I just ruin your month of March? No, it'll be fine, because we're gonna do them in person at some point. And the book Oscars is fun. I got all my lists and papers. And- I got my, I got my, I, I wrote my my Oscar nominations and my winner in my fancy moleskin notebook. I felt very moleskin? literary. I felt- Moleskin? Well, no, not moleskin. Maybe what is moleskin? I'm always confused about what moleskin. That's a brand. I don't think it's actually made of moles. Leather? It's moleskin. I think leather? sort of. Boy. So supposedly Hemingway used it in the trenches of Spain, or World War One, or whatever. <laughs> in the trenches. We're killing it. <laughs> in the last thirty seconds. I go. I think it's moleskin. You're like it's not moleskin. You're like trenches of Spain. No. Nope. It's not literally in, made of moles. I think it was in Italy. Um, if I. Italy in World War One, yeah. Ambulance driver. When I realized That's he was a reporter in Spain, he didn't fight in Spain. He wrote a book Bulls. about. Mm-hmm. Anyway. anyway, it's been a, it's been a, over a week since we last recorded, so we're a little the, the rust is there. No, we got pent up energy. We're really pent up energy. Different. You're drinking weird. I thought it looked like a ch- cherry Coca Cola. Not as good as a cherry Coke. It looks it looks like it's um you got some cool um out of market Coca-Cola. That's it kinda of, it's a weird marketing thing they did and is that this like remaindered store I go to sometimes? Like if you found that in Australia, you'd be like, Oh, that's cool. This is why you've traveled the world, but you found it's it. Aussie Coke. It's Aussie. I have two. I was gonna bring you one. I can't really drink Coca-Cola. Oh right. I would have downed two. You know what? I would do it for the podcast, though. I would drink it with a uh, nice little acid right next to me. You but should I would, put I would do it. in it. Eh? Oh, I could do it right in the Coke. That, that's like a very 1950s thing to do, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, anyway. that's. I, did I derail your intro? I feel like I did. No, that was about it. Oh, the Oscars, the callback to the Oscar things. Uh, I think this episode mm-hmm. and last year's episode are better 
than the Oscars currently. Oh, wow. I'm not too impressed with the... You're not a big Kimmel fan, huh? Eh, I, I'll be honest, I did not watch no. this year's Oscars. Me neither. And last year, I wasn't watching them. I saw on Twitter, mm. Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Oh, Rockers yeah, like, I did watch fun. that. I was like, surely that's a bit. So I went back and watched it. Surely you do, Jeff. Anybody? <laughs> what? He said, surely you kind of old time. I said, surely not. I saw it on Twitter. I was surely like, surely not. Surely it was a bit or something. Like, there's no way. And then I watched it. It's like, oh, goodness. It's real. Oh, wait, wait, why are you talking that way? But nobody, really? nobody would remember the Oscars at all last year. That had to happen. Who won? Who won last year? Who was Best Picture last year? Um, Best Picture? I don't know. Yeah, Best Director? This year's winner, I want to see, but it has one of those titles. It's almost like Black Rep- Leopard Red Wolf, where the the words in the order, everything, yeah. all the, everything. Everything happens all at once. But it's not, that's not the title. No, that I'm describing the title. That's close to the title. But it's one of those titles I'm never going to remember. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying, Oscars has gone downhill from what it used to be. I'll say this: from... my hate, my heyday of watching the Oscars was when Billy Crystal hosted it. So that's me too. 25 years ago. And that might just be the age, the, the appropriate age to enjoy that stuff. I think it, it's all based on personal remembrance. Like, probably you'll like the Oscars when you were a kid. Yeah, because you care more about. And you just, your your opinions are sort of you know whatever. I remember uh, being appalled when did Shakespeare in Love win over Saving Private Ryan? Yes, you were like, appalled. Uh, you were appalled. Yeah, be appalled. Yeah, you're just. Well, anyway, you're a young film buff. Oh, <laughs> I was appalled. Weren't you? Do you think Shakespeare in Love was better than Saving Private Ryan? Never seen Shakespeare in Love. Hmm. A. Shakespeare's not real. B. What is love? And on that note. a podcast about books and the oscars i'm peter joined as always by matt matt this is the biggest this is the biggest night of our our year in the book world right this is the 2022 book oscars there you go it's fun for us to do seacrest is here i saw lord lord elmsworth was here uh, Ken Kesey was out in the back getting a cigarette before. See what I'm doing here? I got a cast. Can you imagine? I I did that this afternoon. Really? I looked at all my nominations and I saw who was who would be invited. I was oh, thinking yeah. about where they would sit in the uh, oh, the cool. auditorium. Have, where would we host this? Naylor's, I don't know, the Beverly Hills Sanatorium. Yeah. Because we would yeah. also invite other authors who were just going to be presenting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in Mailer's presenting and, and oh. drunk in the green room already. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, if we wanted to go, like, full bore on this, we could do presenters. Could be. Like, you yeah, could – we have – we have a, a, quite a long list. If you're not familiar with the book Oscars, we do – uh, our last year books that we read for the podcast and then we have some categories and we have some nominations and we select winners uh it's yeah. pretty it's pretty self-explanatory but it is quite fun and I, I highly recommend it you do it for your own yearly end book uh review 
Uh, if you're a podcast, another podcast listening to this, feel free to steal this idea, but do credit us. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, or I'm going to look at for Matt. Don't I guess. No, no, no. We haven't patented it. Don't steal it. And actually, we can maybe we'd get in trouble for stealing the term Oscar. Oh, yeah, that's possible. Uh, oh. Karen said she thinks of him as the Wesleys. I was like, that's a good oh. idea. That's so we idea. get sued by the Oscar people. We'll just change it to the Wesleys. So the book Wesleys, but I'm not sure if that's, I like that, but. I like well. We'll do it if we get sued okay. to avoid a lawsuit. But anyway, it's cool. That's a good idea. Having the presenters, like last year's winners, would present. I don't have the list. I don't but either. Like, uh, Lonesome Dove would present the winner of best book. Uh-huh. Lonesome Dove won last year. I think Don yeah. Powell won best author. Anyway, so our eligibility is a weird quirk because the episode had to be recorded in 2022. Mm-hmm. So through a weird quirk, I don't know if you had this, but like I had Hogfather, I think was technically eligible. I think even so. Though it was December yeah. 2021. And I didn't include Blythedale. I did not either. It. So, but I had Hogfather. Are we that off track on our books that Blythedale? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hogfather was just December. I mean, so. No, I was, I was more Blythedale. I was like, wow, that was supposed to be last yeah. year. Okay. But Blythedale will be eligible next year. So I had Hogfather through all the seeds of the world. And then our seasonal, sometimes a great notion, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, Red and the Black, actually, because that was recorded in 2022. And then our four Patreon books, Paper Lion, Eight Men Out, Silent Patient, Lions of Lucerne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pretty eligible books, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, in our categories, you sent me a good list of categories, but I didn't, I didn't want to start with like the big heavy hitters, right? That's not how they yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, what order... I got a list. We can go in any order you want. Let's do your list. Let's do your order. Okay. So we begin the night. We'll so, should we say what the the categories are just so people can build the excitement up? Follow along at home. I'll just read quick. No, let's do. Let's do. Let's it. just do it. Yeah. Let's just, just do it. Let's All just right. do it, and you'll be surprised at the because there's some good categories. I I, I think so too. All right, Matt, you want to head it? Do you want to start us off tonight here in who is your ideal host, living, dead, whatever? Who would, if this were an actual event, who would host this? The book Oscars or the real Oscars? The book Oscars. The literary world takes itself so seriously, you know? That is true. I see a lot of. I was doing some research on some of my nominations for later, and it's all so serious, right? It's all life and death sort of stuff. And I, that's, that's not the vibe I want with this, right? Yeah. That's not the vibe I want. I would get Jon Stewart. Okay. I just came to my mind because I think he likes – he would appreciate the work and effort and the talent. It goes into the creation of a – work of fiction or nonfiction. He's written a book. He's written a book, but I think he would be also humorous. But okay. that I you just sprung that on me. So that's my that's a good host. Okay. It's a good host. Could be Marlon James too. I think he would be intense. Yeah. As far as authors go. Brandon Sanderson likes mm-hmm. to talk. Has he I've never seen an interview with him. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say PG Woodhouse or something like that. Well, he's not alive, though. Like so. a, I said living or it doesn't matter. Oh, I didn't hear either. the dead part. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like Bob Hope. I could do throwback. Dean Martin. Some throwback. 
Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that would be in the background. That's the uh, stage direction of, yeah. of the podcast producer tonight, presented by. We bring him in for the. We bring him in for the big episodes. That would be Matt's son. In the background. Yeah, a little two and a half year old. He's that's the cue music to Matt. Our first category tonight. I want you to say, pick one out of the, we have like 15 of them. What order we I wrote them down with like the big ones. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I will start with the most untrustworthy character. Yeah. That we read in 2022. I had a couple uh nominations that because there's there's a couple where the untrustworthy and sort of villain mingles together right yeah yeah. um i had the kind of faber i think is from the silent patient which was over on a patreon like the the narrator of uh the silent patient i had and this it, it kind of ties into another category we have uh coming up but tracker from Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Yep. As yep. a sort of was my lead and sort of was going to be what I would choose as our most untrust. It's sort of an unreliable narrator type thing is where I was kind of going with that. And there can be overlap too. Yes. Right? Your villain can show up in the untrustworthy character. I, I wouldn't say untrustworthy in a, it's sort of a negative sense, but almost in the literary device of untrustworthy. Yeah. Yeah, because I could have gone with like Comiskey from. Well, yeah, could have. Right, and you could have gone with Flashman. I don't have Flashman on here because I have other nominate, but it can be whoever you want. You just make the case for them because they're nominations. But that's good. The Tracker and the Silent Patient, especially. Yeah, yeah, because Silent Patient's all sort of about untrustworthy stuff. So people, yeah. If you hear that below me, that would be my dogs barking. There's a lot going on tonight. It's like. And I just heard my wife yell at them. Hey, it's a buzz. There's a buzz in the air. There's a buzz in the air. You know, it's who do you have for most untrustworthy character? You just had those two? Yeah, just those two. Okay. So I had Leopard from Black Leopard, Red Wolf. He might have been a better choice. He was a little more untrustworthy, but because we got it from Tracker's perspective. But I got the Black Leopard. I have Austin Popper from Masters of Atlantis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Leland Stamper, who I very much dislike, but he was untrustworthy. This is where I have, yeah. Hmm. Uh, Hugo Lamb from Black Swan Green. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I did. And I did have Flashman. Huh. So just those. What do you think? Oh, so we bo- we have to pick one. Huh. I like your silent patient one. I think that's probably the most untrustworthy character that we read personally. If you haven't read the Silent Patient, the sort of yeah. reveal, and I don't know, if I think it might be brought up later tonight, but the reveal is like, oh, this is, I wouldn't trust this guy with anything, <laughs> right? Yeah, actually, yeah, and he has a position of authority, and he winds up. I think I'm down to vote for him. I do, and Austin Popper is slippery, but he's not. He doesn't necessarily stab people in the back. He's just a con man. Yeah. He's entertaining. 
Hugo Lamb winds up being very untrustworthy, but as far as just Black Swan Green, he's just kind of a jerk. Okay, silent patient guy. Guy, there we go. First, first category, we have untrustworthy characters. All right. Brief interlude here. Um, You have this category you wrote to me called Best Dog Villain. Yeah, I was going to explain that. Yes. Right? So it's... You kind of know what I mean. Like, It's not a villain in the classic sense, but a, a character you just didn't like. Is that correct? That's what it wound up being. The term... So I watched Die Hard with the commentary mm-hmm. like last year when we were doing our Die Hard episode. And the director... The, the, the first German that Bruce Willis kills, he's the brother of the big scary German. Yes. That, but that first guy... He, the director was talking about how that's the dog villain and it comes from 1950s TV, especially Westerns. Mm-hmm. So there's a, you know, you know, at the end, the main bad guy is going to kill or Bruce Willis is going to kill Alan Rickman, right? The main bad guy, or the good guy kills the main bad guy. Mm-hmm. And before that, the main good guy will probably kill the villain's sidekick. So the big scary German and die hard. And then there's usually a third tier guy who got called the dog villain. Because like early on in the show, uh, like he kicks a dog or something to show he's bad. Yeah. Right. He's usually the first of the bad guys to get killed early on as it builds towards the traditional climax. So it's basically not main villain, but just a guy who maybe at the beginning of the show kicks a dog and you're like, oh, I don't like that guy. Dog villain, basically. Dog villain. Yeah. Um, That's a good category. I had one, I had two, not, I kind of, I, I have bad nominations for this, I think, because one of mine is not a villain at all. Well, I could argue he is kind of a villain, and that would be Laris, yeah, our, our character from Laris, right? The main guy? He's not Arsene. a very, what? Arsony? Arsony, yes. That's his name, yeah, yeah. What his real name is. He's not a very good guy. Like, he's really sad about his wife, but he really kind of almost... It's sort of the reason why she dies, right? And he's kind of, well, and that's a tragic accident, but he's very self-involved about it for the rest yeah. of his life. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like him. I'm, I don't know. Yeah. It's just not very, okay. it's weird. I'll accept the nomination. That's a, you just make the case. That's a good. Um, and this person's almost really a villain villain. And that would be the owner of the um, Chicago White Sox, Comiskey. Oh, Comiskey? Oh, I I think he's just a villain villain, but you yeah. could argue, I mean, is he so much of a villain that he drove his players to commit, you know, throwing of the World Series? It's, you know, somewhere so, like, to kind of a jump, but. Yeah, I have him in best villain. Okay. But I would you totally know, think that's. But so sometimes, you know, certain people get nominated in different categories that's a valid nomination and if you want to make the case arnold rostein uh was a heroin dealer right he didn't he actually didn't fix the world series that's one of the things we came up with but if you want to compare him to the actual mobsters who did the fixing being a cheapskate owner right if you want to make a case for putting him in this category rather than villain you you could move him around he wasn't a heroin dealer yeah um those are the two that yeah. fit with my the, – the, Lars was the one that kind of popped in my head. I was like, I don't really like that guy yeah. <laughs> very much. And then I was thinking about the book. I was like, oh, yeah, he was kind of the 
he's very self-involved about his problems and he sort of caused some of them early on in the book and i was like i don't know if i'd like this guy you could put a spin on it to where he's the dog villain i yeah. like that okay your dog villain nominations all right uh neil bros slash the other kids who are mean to jason taylor and black swan green that's very good you know and that's kind of like the the dog villain type they're not like villain villains but in the book they are just a pack of bullies yeah uh ferris white and if you remember him from masters of atlantis he's the guy austin popper kicks out oh of, uh, yeah yeah he's like the is he an fbi agent? He, he becomes an fbi agent who has a name for uh the the group of people one of the better lines from that book comes from when austin popper kicks ferris white out of uh the, their group mm. uh ferris white says you just hate me because i go to i'm, I'm too poor to go to real law school i go to law school at night and then awesome papa goes all law school should be conducted at night <laughs> uh anyway yeah, ferris white uh henry stamper the dad i have him down in a in yeah. i think villain yeah not not hank i, I like hank as a no, the old man henry stamper old man is just mean to everybody and pretty I can, I would accept him here. I think he could win. No, he's not pure evil, but he's kind of just a jerk to everybody. Uh, Percy Staunton. Percy Boy Staunton from Fifth Business. That's funny you mentioned him because I, I some of these are, I haven't. He, he's one of my villains. He shows up later too, and he's not from certain, like from his son's perspective and other perspectives, he could be a villain. But he's a pretty bad guy. He's the mayor. He's the main character's <laughs> friends, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's borderline. He could be a real villain too. But and had him, and then um, the spoiled nobleman in all the seas of the world who kidnaps Raphael, one mm. of our main characters, and he really he's just not smart. He thinks he's playing like politics well, but he's not that bright. And then he tries to burn Rafael's ship and almost starts a fire in the dockyard. He's kind of a, he was well drawn. He's one of those characters kind of fun to hate. He only shows up like twice, but spoiled nobleman. Those are all my. Okay. Where do you want to go with this? I think the funny one is, is white. They have like. Yeah. Ferris white. Ferris white, like a villain in that book is almost, you have to make him as ridiculous in a way. It's yeah. like, He's sort of the sounding board for like how ridiculous the rest of the characters are, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like, and he's kind of silly too. He's silly, but he's also sort of he's supposed to be like the straight man sort of thing, where everything else is like. I think yeah, that's yeah. he's actually a really good character, yeah. a like a villain, but not really the villain. Villain. He's not. He's just an antagonist to our group. I like Ferris White, and then Neil Bros or the Black Swan Green kids. I think one of those two. Would be that's the perfect good. encapsulation of dog. Yeah, that's also true. Because it, it kind of the villain when you're a young kid it, is a maybe a different kind of villain. Mm -hmm. It's just the, the kids who pick on you. I'm good with you. You can. You're the final vote cast in this one. It's tough. Let's do Neil Bro slash Gary Drake. Yeah, Black Swan Green. Because I think everyone has like 
hopefully people aren't experiencing traumatic uh bullying but there's always someone when you're growing up where you're like i just oh that's kind of my villain you know that's one of the yeah that's one of the things that made that such a good like memoir of childhood is the 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 bullies were pretty well drawn yeah all right you have a next category i'm gonna do is called neat scene yeah classic matt (laughs) (laughs) um not it's not best scene. Yeah. Right? That's a different category. It's a scene that's kind of made you think or go, huh? You know, it, it, you know, it's not grand sweeping like the best scene should be, but it's just a little, it kind of sticks with you. I thought for me, I thought this is more like historical context for this isn't a novel. I've mentioned this book now, I think in every from eight men out it's sort of the meeting of how sort of that i don't think it was everybody was at that meeting when they're sort of discussing the plot to do this and that like one guy's uh, hotel room like just like your first realization of like oh this is how it went down it's kind of a scene right it's sort of a yeah yeah no that's exactly for me like as a fan of baseball i didn't realize that's how it went down like in a guy's hotel room Mm -hmm. you know or like was it am i getting it wrong like not everyone was there and it was certain people then other people brought in like the main guy c uh c C seacrest yeah oh seacrest yeah yeah him and the the other gambler guy who kind of i would almost say there's other scenes too in the book where it's just like oh this is so weird like the details of this are not what i was expecting yeah, it didn't go down the way you think it went down. From it didn't Bob. feel like it felt in my mind. I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be much more dramatic," but it was much more like Loki, and it kind of goes to show, like, "Oh, this was doomed to fail," just by how you can see why hazard it was. Yeah, so I like that. I thought the opening scene is sometimes a great notion. Is just I don't neat. I don't think it, but it is a like when he's like struggling in the water, like and the union guys are on the sort of the banks of the for me that was like oh i'm about to read a really great book mm-hmm. so that that for me was a i don't not really a scene i guess but sort of like oh the writing and then the characters are just like you're right into the story right away so i appreciated that i would say mostly i would say eight men that was like my main focus for this that's the first thing that came into my head just the antidotes and sort of i couldn't pick one scene i guess but as a collective they had neat scenes okay yeah i like that the actually one just popped in my head when they were with the the detail of how they would watch the baseball games in like Times square where like it was like a did they have like people like move but like it was a diagram on like a and then they would oh, people right, would like right. watch it, and that, I was like, "Huh, that's fascinating." That that's how they would like consume the game, mm-hmm. almost as if you can watch like a game cast nowadays on like ESPN or whatever, where you just see like dots moving around. Yeah, but that's and how I, it was in the yeah the teens. That's low tech as it gets, right? Mm-hmm. That was fascinating. So yeah, that's cool. That's exactly what a neat scene should be. Should be a neat scene. It's kind of neat. Historically, I like historically neat scenes. 
Nice. What are your nominations, Matt? All right. Uh, so the honey and the anabasis. They're Xenophon and his men are like retreating, trying to go back home from Persia. And they find this honey alongside the road and they eat it. And a bunch of them get sick because there's a certain type of honey that in that area of the world where if it comes from like a poisonous plant, if you eat too much of it, you get sick. Very good scene. Like, huh? Neat. Stay away from that, that type of honey. Also, it's like historical. It's like thinking back little fact years ago. You're like, yeah, I wonder if that's must be a pretty big bummer to not get the good honey. <laughs> well, couple hundred years later there was a guy king mithridates of pontus was fighting the romans and he kind of trapped the romans he put the honey towards the side of the road so the romans chasing him would find it and and eat it because he knew it was poisonous that's they all sick kind of jerk, the army down kind of jerk move well the army is invading his kingdom he's trying to kick out there anyway the honey the anabasis do you remember in neverwhere where our two villains, Croup, Mr. Croup and Mr. Vandemeyer, who yeah. are, until that point, they're pretty ruthless and evil. I think they're just meant to be just the darkness inherent in the world. They don't care about anything. Yeah. Nihilistic. And then a character does Croup a favor. And in return, he gives Croup like a, a, an old, an ancient Chinese statuette. And it's a little weird. You're like, oh, does he actually care about something? This is just a bloodthirsty villain. Why does he want this statuette? And Mr. Croup eats the statue, like consumes it because he wants to take everything beautiful out of the world. That's yeah. a neat scene. But it's a good scene. It's a neat little scene. And you're like, oh. Highlights good characters too, like very engaging characters. They're good villains. Good villains, yeah. Maybe they'll be nominated for best villains. But that that little statue eating scene, not the best scene, but a neat. I like, neat that. Scene I like that. Think about um, in the Lions of Lucerne. Um, <laughs> this is so towards the end. The love interest of our hero Scott Horvath. They know they're on the run. The bad guys are after them. The bad guys know where they live. Um, they're about to go to uh, this little chateau where the president who's been kidnapped is being held in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, there's a scene at the end where they need, the girl needs her luggage. So despite the fact they're being uh, chased by a group of heavily armed international mercenaries, she goes back to her apartment to get some luggage. <laughs> sure enough, there's a bad guy waiting in there. That's a neat scene for me. Like we, you had that you gotta have that scene though right right it's like oh neat we're that's that's a bad move but you do it anyway uh in loris i always think about there's a character because loris is in like the 1440s 1450s in russia there's a character who can accurately predict the future so he predicts columbus will discover america in 1492 but nobody at the time like knows what that means we know as readers like oh yeah that's accurate mm -hmm. but he's telling people in 1450s italy yeah there's going to be a continent called america discovered by christopher columbus and they're just like what okay whatever <laughs> but that stuck with like the notion that if somebody could accurately predict like the world events you wouldn't know right it's just some guy talking about stuff yeah 
not knowing somebody accurately predicting the future in the present moment because there's no way to verify it. Seems obvious, but the way it was put out in the book, it stuck with me. And I thought, oh, that's neat. Uh, and sorry, one more. Uh, the hippies in Sometimes a Great Notion when they almost drown Leland. <laughs> yeah. You hate Leland so I much. I hate Leland. I'm not having that. I kind of wish the hippies did it. But it, it also stuck with me because, especially because Ken Kesey, you think, oh, uh, electric Kool-Aid acid test guy, right? In a van on LSD. What a hippie. Sometimes a great notion is not a big 60s hippie radical left lefty book. Oh, no. In fact, the only hippies who show up are actually kind of menacing and almost drown one of our main characters. Like, they almost murder him. You, but you don't like that character. So. I don't like the character, so it's neat. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's actually not not what I thought. Is that the beach scene where he almost gets he gets like buried up to his neck? Yeah, they almost drown. Like they're kind of messing with him. So That's the only messed up he, scene. That's a messed up scene. It's a messed up. I'm scene. I'm sure it's neat, but it's it's up there. You know what I mean? It's like not the best scene, but it's like, huh? It, I and I think about it because those are the only '60s countercultural people that show up in this book, and they're not your stereotypical hippies. They're kind of violent and menacing. That's a good point. Right? Hey, what do you want to select here? You know, what struck your uh... um <laughs> I love your Lies of Lucerne take because it is a ridiculous thing that happens in that book. Yeah, it's also, we... it fits in with the book though, it fits in with the genre. You have to have in that genre of thriller, characters gonna do stuff well, like, that's not what you should do. But yeah, it's a horror movie though, in thriller genres. I like to have the 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 heroes a little one step ahead, but I'd be down with that. I like the croup eating the statue. That's good. I was good. Never wear it's because that's Neverwhere. okay. A good encapsulation of a character and also an interesting scene. All right. Um. Let's see here. I uh, next category is most hapless character. Yeah, I have two Flashman and Austin Popper, and I don't know because I'll, I'll just spoil this. The next category I'm going to do is most inept character. Yeah, um, we can kind of do these together. Yeah, and, yeah, like sometimes they do that with the Oscars. Um, what were your and I'll actually just do my nominations for most inept character the FBI. And in conjunction, Scott Horvath and Lions of Lucerne are not very good at their um, yeah at their job. Uh, there's about a dozen characters in Eight Men Out, which just yeah. not good. At what I have, I have the gambler such players in Eight Men Out. As just a lot of guys. Just man, just what are we? You're just thinking I would have done it differently. Like <laughs> you probably, you know. The old adage, like the more people know about something, the less likely it's going to be, you know, kept secret. Yeah. That's very much what's happening in uh, Eight Men Out about a hundred plus years ago. It's uh, of but fifty pages into that book, you're saying, of course, this gets out. <laughs> yeah, and I think the book almost hints at like, oh, a lot of people know that this was going or something was going on. So, 
every, yeah, everybody kind of. I don't have a specific it. person in mind for Amen, and also the just a lot of corruption and and just not great. Uh, they lose the president pretty easily. They not allow great. the president to be kidnapped. Pretty. <laughs> it sounds. Yeah, I would almost say that's kind of you know. That's the end. That's the the case right there. Is they lose the president for twenty pages into the book, with like six guys take him. So it'd be the Secret Service and the FBI, and they transport him across the globe. Correct. They take him from Utah to Switzerland, <laughs> but they have him like they have noises from the Middle East, and they have yeah, him in try to, yeah. to try to trick him into, you know, into thinking, oh, you're in the Middle East because they're gonna let him go. And there's a little scene at the end where Scott Horvath finally rescues the president and the president's like, huh, they're uh, playing Middle East. The guys are in the Middle East and thanks for rescuing me. He's like, no, you're in Switzerland, sir. I don't know why they were doing that stuff with the, (laughs) oh, you don't know. He doesn't know why. You can't piece it together. Scott Horvath is kind of, he should open just win this. He could be, he could be hapless too because he, I, I was going to say, let me draw the distinction here between the two categories, hapless, yeah. right? So <clears throat> inept, last year we had a category of, because we have most competent too, right? And so last year there's a subcategory I called not quite there, like characters who are kind of pretty competent, but in the end, they don't win. They're not quite Sherlock Holmes. They're not quite competent. They kind of... They have a flaw that gets in their way. Yeah. So that's, in, in, I, I wound up just calling that inept, right? So they, they're not bumbling fools. So hapless is kind of just, your character is you're bumbling. You're not really competent. You're a humor. Uh, like I have Lord Emsworth as hapless. That's good. That's Inept, uh, I actually have the silent patient. Um, that's very good. Julian Sorrell. Like they were, these seems like they could be competent, but they get in their own way. So I think maybe Horvath and the FBI should maybe be hapless okay. for the purposes of this. But it's a weird distinction and there'd be some overlap, but that's kind of what I was thinking. Hapless and then almost competent, but get in your own way. Slash inept. So so while we did the inept, uh, I, I have the gamblers and players from Eight Men Out. Okay. Because they it kind of like, they could have gotten away with it. Oh yeah. Maybe we talk about this in the episode. Is it possible that this has happened before, but just with competent people, but it was so many people involved, so much wires crossed. Uh, yeah. So the eight men out people at Percy Staunton, who was a, you know, successful guy, but at the end kind of got in his own way. Um, Lola from cult classic. Oh, okay. Kind of like that. It doesn't end tragically for her. But her, she was kind of sarcastic and mostly competent, but she kind of got in her own way too. I can see that. Silent patient character. Um, Julian Sorrell was also kind of like ambitious, trying to make his way through the world, and he winds up getting in his own way too. Um, I guess, yeah. So those are my inept. I think it's clear right now. We should have the eight men out be inept. Yeah. Right. They and then out RNF. That's kind of. And then the ha- FBI guys are. Hapless? Yeah. Well, let me read my. Do your Because Lord right. Elmsworth is very, very strong as well. 
Lord Emsworth is like almost almost the uh created a category for him. He should probably win it. Basically. But you know. Uh so yeah, yeah, the doddering old man who raises prize pig fat. He enters his fat pig in the prize pig contest every year. Uh Lamar Jimerson from Oh yeah. Uh Masters of Atlantis. It was fun going back over Masters of Atlantis for quotes and stuff. This quote here will emphasize Lamar Jimerson's hap- haplessness. This is towards the end. Uh, Mr. Jimerson called her Juanita. Never good at sorting women out. He had thought Adele and Teresita to be the same person, though they were nothing at all alike, and he addressed them both as Juanita. Now he saw them together for the first time and was confused. Anyway, I like that. Uh, Lamar Jimerson. Richard Mayhew from Neverwhere. Okay. He's not quite as bumbling as the other two, but he is kind of hapless. At the beginning, he becomes more competent towards the end, but he starts as... No, I, I, yeah. Kind of gets bullied into being engaged to his fiance, and he just kind of bounces about. So at the very beginning, he's very British and hapless, and, you know. And then uh, George Plimpton, as a football player, not as a writer. I think I like that the most. That's a good one, right? Because when he finally gets in the game, he's just going to, he's not even going to try to throw, he's just going to hand it off, and he can't even. He fumbles the handoff. Like so I don't want that to win. That was like he he wasn't a good athlete. He wasn't a good football no. player. He's a great book. He's a fantastic writer. But when he got on the field, Plimpton yeah, I think that should be the winner. Player. You think so? Yeah. All right. Just because of the, the setting he puts himself in, he can't be anything other than not, it. Does not go well at all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Plimpton. Although okay. Lord Emsworth. It's like how Martin Scorsese didn't win for taxes. Yeah, either. it's like he like, can't he can't win for every hapless year. Should have, but whatever. Okay, yeah, I'll go with you, Plimpton. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see here. Next up, most incomprehensible book. Okay, I only have two. I have three. Right. One's kind of weird, but I nominated this book so many times. It's not. I don't want it to win. Eight men out, just being like why during the whole book not really like my other two nominations make more sense but just i was thinking like how would this you, this is never going to work out for you guys just okay. yeah yeah you know what i mean it's just like what yeah. this everyone involved it's just okay uh okay. my two real nominations would be black leopard red wolf that book's crazy mm-hmm. a lot going on and then laris is a really strange book like I said, that was a very strange book to read. Uh, I would probably lean towards Black Leopard because I don't know how many times during reading that book I was just like, I gotta be honest, there's a lot. I there's a lot going on, a lot yep. going on. I think we did, yeah, it's a lot. Yep, those are my two, okay. Loris and Black Leopard. Because <laughs> Loris is it has some strangeness to it. They're both pretty, and I liked them both, but yeah, well, they were very confusing to read, and I'm not sure I could describe what's going on right now. <laughs> like, just like, well, what was that book about? Like, well, I don't know. Yeah, they go around the world, and they, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough. Black leopard, red wolf. Okay, 
Black okay. Black. Yeah. Most incomprehensible. In a good way, it wasn't a bad book. It was just differently and it's a, yeah. Untrustworthy narrators. Yeah. Um I had I sent you two. I was did you do best cover art and best setting? Yeah, I did. All right, let's do that those real quick. Uh best cover actually funny enough, I have one that I thought was the best as I was looking through all my it was uh my copy hard uh hardback of black Le- leopard red wolf it's a very engaging yeah, yeah. colorful kind of fits the in a weird way the the theme and the like the energy that that book has and i think it's a very well done cover art nothing else really stood out as far as um summer lightning i liked it as a picture of a pig that would be another possible nomination for me i just thought that's kind of funny uh, and then actually um why am I blanking on this? Uh, Sloan Crosley's book I kind of liked. Oh uh, yeah, that was classic. A, I, I like that retro seventies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. I didn't think of that. That's good. What were your nominations? All right, so I got Flash for Freedom. It was my edition, which basically it had a little uh, some nudity on it, so that was cool. The Flashman books, you can get a wide variety of the covers too, but. They're, and they're cool artworks. Yes. So Flash for Freedom. Uh, this is one of the ones that we were doing in person. I was going to show you. Just my little version of Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, I posted Ooh. a picture on Instagram. Ooh. This is cool looking. That's very good. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah. It's just uh, my little Pelican Shakespeare random edition. And then the one I actually think should win. Very good nominations. But I think the cover art... And the illustrations within actually are at least half of what makes the book work. Oh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, because the stories themselves are interesting, but without the artwork, I don't think those things are best sellers. I don't think that book comes and goes if there's no art. art Yeah. The, that's, that's the winner. Right. Yeah. Like, scary stories to tell. dark all right that's the winner uh best setting in this one i felt like for me setting could be um i like when a setting inter like connects with the characters in a very like personal way i don't know if that like lines lucerne in switzerland that's cool but it never felt like oh you know that's integral to the part of the story really in a way um sometimes a great notion i think is a like the setting is so important in that book like it's after reading like 700 pages of that book you feel that community and then that this you know the logging and then it's just like immersed in that book so well right Mm -hmm. when you think about that you think like rain a river Oregon, yeah, Oregon. yeah, that I thought drive your plow over the bones of the dead, mm-hmm. just the sparseness of that setting and the, the characters' lives in that setting. I thought was plays a kind of a crucial role in how that book unfolds, yeah. So, those were my two, and actually, probably Xenophon. Oh, yeah, yeah, ancient Persia, yeah, just sort of as a historical almost aspect to it. 
yeah. kind of looking at them or sort of a, a setting of a place that you can, can't really replicate these days. You can't, you can go to some of the places, but they are going to look vastly different. I always think that's interesting when dealing yeah. with setting when it's not, you can't really get a go to the place to actually see how it was. You, know. you can make the case the setting is both ancient Persia and Greece and the ancient world itself. Yes. Um, for some reason, I, I would probably have to say sometimes a great notion would be my my winner if I was to pick one. But I was well, curious about a setting. Can I do my nomination? Yeah. I, you can't beat that, though. Well, sometimes a great notion is on mine. Too. Okay. It, it probably will win. But uh, Black Swan Green... That's that's a good that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, because it's a, yeah, it's setting community. And it's ties in really well with the, mm-hmm. also time, like yeah, eighties, yeah, growing up in the eighties in Britain, all the seas of the world. I like our world, but kind of a d- different twist on our world. That's good. Uh, Blanding's Castle. Mm. Out of all the settings we read, that's the one I would like to go to during the summer and visit. Like Blanding's Castle is a very, very good setting. Good. Many, many very pleasant, funny books are set there. Um, and then Game of Kings, yeah. Scotland, 1500s. That crossed my mind. Um, yeah. It's worth nominating. Oh, yeah. You're right. Uh, sometimes a great notion wins. But uh, there are some good. There's some, there good, some good, good settings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to start getting into the. This is going to be a long episode, man. I'm just realizing. It's fine. Oh, hey, real quick. I didn't send it to you. Yeah. I wanted to do best young gun. Best young gun. Young gun. Mm. New newcomer. Uh, author um, or? Author. Oh. I have two. I only have two. Okay. Sally Rooney and Sam Ernst. There you go. I'm gonna go with Sam. Sam Ernst gonna win that one. Cause he was literary, uh, some uh, uh, adventurous structurally without being pretentious, and it wasn't all just moral hand wringing. There you go. You know, it was actual plot and stuff happens, and we're not watching basketball later this week with Sally Rooney. So, <laughs> hey, that's those are all. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right, Matt. Next category, best prose. Ooh, all right, this isn't best book. This isn't. I'm a I'm a big fan of sometimes the book may not work, but the prose is just really. Yeah, it's not even best author. No, nope. it's best right writing style. Question. And go ahead. Well, so. I got hung up on whether or not it counts as prose. Okay. It was like, we have to put Shakespeare on here, right? If it's just the writing yeah. rhythm, he might not win, but we have to at least throw it in there. But it counts like the kind of poetic or what pentameter he wrote in isn't technically prose, but can we still? Oh, yeah. Got at least nominate him, right? Shakespeare should be there. I, okay. have, I have four. All right. Um, PG Boardhouse. Yep. I have him too. Um, just the combination of humor, just 
I feel like he's invested in the characters. And he has a good grasp of what they do and fit in with the humor, which is, I think is difficult to do. It's more difficult than it seems. I think it, what he's doing may look easy, but I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's like just how much humor he can create with the story. It's Something it, funny on every page is yeah. incredible. So good. that prose as funny is a definite like skill. So have him. Uh, I have Olga Tokarczuk from Drive Your Plow. I think, I mean, it's it ties in with the translator. I think you have to give like a secondary, like mm-hmm. we're obviously reading the book translated. So, but I would assume it's a fairly accurate t- translation and it, it's a very powerful book of memorable sort of observations and musings on life that. I think work well. Once again, with the setting, she describes the kind of the the time and place of where, where the story takes place very well. Ken Kesey blew my socks off with his writing. Like he, in a weird way, you could almost say he overwrote the book, just how much he put into it. And I don't say that in a bad way, just like he was going to put everything into that. Yeah, it was a long um, And then Dorothy Dunnett. Um, very skillful made me feel dumb in a good way <laughs> like I was like oh man her like vocabulary and just skill and all these sort of different things I was like oh man I feel very like I didn't feel like my brain could reach the heights that she would like I don't know as a reader I was like challenged by her in ways I wasn't expecting from like a historical fiction thing it was a very complex plot complex plot clever book yeah not didn't feel like she dumbed anything down no she definitely didn't no so it was uh, a very uh, rewarding experience so some of that sort of sounds like it's not prose but her prose is goes a long way to sort of convey those things we were saying so your nominations Ben. all right so i have woodhouse too I have mm-hmm. PC as well. Uh, Shakespeare, like we mm-hmm. talked about. I have Terry Pratchett. Oh. Hogfather. It, this is very funny, too. Very humorous, very British. Yes. And then I have Charles Portis. Okay. Because that book was very funny consistently, too. And I do think that's really hard to, to do. Like most funny books have like maybe a funny scene every 50 pages or something. Yeah. But Woodhouse, Pratchett, and Portis, it was like every page, there's something to make you chuckle. And I think that's uh, quite a feat. So, where do you? So, so this may be Kesey's year in other areas, but I want to lobby for Woodhouse. I would, I think I would say Woodhouse could, yeah. Because it really is brilliant. I remember we were reading it. You texted me when you just started reading it, like, this is delightful. <laughs> Yeah. Right, it is. It's, it's something all to its own. It's its own style. It'll never be replicated. All right, Woodhouse. I'm good with Woodhouse. Personally, me, I would do Keezy, but I mean, he, he'll probably might win Best Author. Yeah, it's up for that too. Um, let's move on. Here we have eight more categories. So this is it's all right. Um, next up, yeah. Most competent character. Uh, I always like nominating Harry Flashman for this award. 
just in yeah. a way, I sort of view competence in, in this sense is just, how does he always end up ahead? And he's telling the story as an old man. Yeah. So he, he lives through it. Harry Seldon predicts the future. Hey, I have him too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I kind of stopped there. I was like, that's just pretty competent. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I could be talking to some other people, but those two. Okay. I got some people. Okay. Uh, and I do want to say real quick, because uh, Flashman, there are two types of competence, competencies. Yeah. Right? He's not Flashman, competent, but he's competent. He, he is. He can get it. So there's. He gets the uh, results of a competent person. There's the kind of Harry Seldon, um, Sherlock Holmes type competent. Mm-hmm. Right. Where they're like chess masters. They see every move and are eight steps ahead of you. And those are fun to read about. But there's also kind of the fly by the seat of your pants competent. Yeah. Improvise and they kind of, they get through it by their wits. And they're just making it up as they go. Like uh, Tom Ripley came up last year, right? He's like Flashman by the seat of his pants. He's not a chess master. He's making it up as he goes, but he gets away with it. So there's two types of competence competency Can i also nominate francis crawford lyman i had him nominated yeah chronicles that just popped in i just saw his name as i was like actually very competent okay so i have i have harry selden francis crawford xenophon uh i was thinking that too leading all his men through hostile territory pretty good and then mrs uh dushko however you say that from uh from uh drive your plow main character yeah she's she i, yeah, won't do away I wasn't either, thinking of her but, as competent but now that i think about it she is ish sort of her revenge and how she goes about it is very well yeah we don't give anything away but yeah, yeah. she's kind of competent i yeah. threw her in there i think it's got to be harry selden we'll have francis crawford yeah um I mean, here's something. How I mean, he did predict the future. Through, yeah, predicts the future. Okay, Harry Seldon. Uh, next category: best twist. Ooh. Okay, this is a good one. This is actually a very strong category this year. I have mm-hmm. three strong nominations. Right. I don't think we should really dive into them. We won't describe it. Just list off the titles. I'll list off mine, and we'll pick one. But we won't spoil them for for the fifth, people listening. fifth business yep drive your plow over the bones of the dead yep and the silent patient yep do you have any I have all three of those uh i've never wear it's not as strong as a twist but there is a twist so yep. i thought i'd nominate it because there's and then um i don't expect it to win but i have to put it out there the end sequence of the red and the black it's not a murder mystery twist, but I, I didn't know what I expected to happen, but That's it wasn't that. Yeah. It wasn't what and we'll spoil this one. The Julian Sorrell shoots his former lover, goes to jail for it, could could get out, get off, decides not to, gets beheaded, and then his current fiance, who's pregnant with his baby like does some sort of ritual with his decapitated head. And in a weird way, everybody gets what they want. Yeah. That was not what I expected. To kind of unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. My favorite, 
the thing that stuck with me is the the twist and fifth business and sort of the it's yeah. more of a reveal than a t- classic twist. If you're going for best twist, I would say the Silent Patient. Best that's a good murder mystery twist. Yes, but yeah. I thought the reveal in the fifth business that near the end about what sort of and how it's and how a, kind of Robertson Davies draws that thread and like reveals that over a handful of pages I thought was it landed perfectly it was like that I was like holy cow I think I might have said like I was like wow I did not see that coming so I'm with you on that honestly drive your plow and silent patient have strong cases too but let's fit business fit business very good list yeah um best supporting character um one of our books kind of deals with this in a way uh and that would be oh yeah duncan ramsey in the fifth business sort of yeah that almost sort of but uh, he's the main character of that story even though fifth business means supporting character essentially and i think in the in the rest of the series he is the supporting character but he's the main character in this one Still a good nomination. Uh, I like that. I liked Viv and uh sometimes a great notion. Yeah, yeah. The wife. Um sort of her story gets dragged. There's some other like they're big characters, like even big secondary characters in that book, but she there's a something to her that's I, I felt like I was drawn to her whenever she would kind of come into the story more and she kind of dip out a little bit. I thought she was a strong one. Um, I can't pronounce this, but from summer lightning, Galahad three. Galahad three foot. Yeah. 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 He's going to write the memoir. I thought that was like, yeah, very funny, memorable side character that I thought. He's fun. And he's, he's kind of the catalyst for a lot of things that happened in that book in a weird way like uh what house does a good galahad uh there's uncle fred in other books and smith in <laughs> some other books he does kind of a jaunty almost co- ultra competent character mm. contrasted with emsworth but yeah he's a fun one yeah uh so those were kind of my i didn't really have a strong feeling on like a strong oh i'm gonna go to bat for this person or that i would probably i got the theory of duncan ramsey being the the supporting character in his own main story is funny okay your nominations matt uh i got puck midsummer night's dream that's pretty good yeah uh dean moran black swan green very good He's like literally a sidekick, but he's not quite, doesn't have much screen time as a traditional supporting character, but he's Jason's sidekick, so whatever. Uh, the Black Leopard from Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Tracker's the Red Wolf, Black Leopard's the, you know. He oh. is like a very, you feel very, I like a secondary character where you feel very conflicted about their role and you definitely feel different things you're sort of with him against him trying to understand the story basically yeah. uh that's a very strong 
nomination. Uh, Joby from Sometimes a Great Notion. Hank's friend. Yeah. And then Binky, Death's Horse in Hogfather. <laughs> Good. I like that. So I like Galahad and Ramsey. Okay. Let's do, let's do Galahad. Galahad? Galahad's a very fun. Just a very fun character to have in the story. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt. We're we're coming down to the final five. All right. Best villain that we read. Kind of touched on this a little bit. Kind of mentioned two of mine earlier. Henry Stamper. I don't think he's meant to be the villain in a sense, but I think he has... He's a real pain for a lot of our characters, right? Most of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say he's the classic villain. I have some other characters that are more villainous, but he's not a good guy in a, in a lot of ways. So he's one. Percy Boy Stanton is yeah. he, he has some qualities that just make him very unlikable. Sort of you know, near the end of the book without giving away too much spoilers, he was brought with information about and he kind of doesn't take any responsibility for it and it just cements his uh, kind of place in the story. I had him. Yeah. Well, and he uses he he uses people very much like his, game throughout the whole story. Is, yeah. Ruins yeah. her life, um, yeah. and then from Black Leopard Red Wolf, there's a load of like bad characters like that are like they're trying to fight the Sasa Bonsam. I can't pronounce that yeah. character. That's like, a bond book. Steals yeah. the children. Um, yeah. Not great. Not great. You don't want to be around him. <laughs> no, just not a very pleasant character to be around. So those are my three. Okay. All right. I got Croup and Vandemar. Never wear. Uh, John John Charity Spring, the slaver from uh, Flash for Freedom. Uh, Leland Stamper. See, I can't ride for Leland Stamper. No, he was he. You, he's one of the main characters. You get his point of view, but he's petty, and he's aggrieved. And I think he. He's I think not, that's our biggest disagreement. I don't see any of this. I see some guy. of it. I see some of it. I'll admit, but a good, a good, a well-drawn villain, just storytelling-wise, has legitimate grievances. He just makes his grievance, his whole personality, and just. The way he went after his brother Hank, like seduced his wife out from under him because of like grievances from long ago. It it is villainous behavior. I see. I see. He didn't have to win, but that's like classic villain. He's he's petty and narcissistic about his little grievances, and he kind of ruins some lives because of halfway legit grievances, but he's willing to, you know, be all whiny about it. He didn't have to win, but I he he was kind of the a villain in that book. Uh, Comiskey from Amen Out, yeah, so cheap, kind of brought it all on himself in a way. If he had just not been such a cheapskate, the whole the players wouldn't have been willing to throw the World Series. And then I nominated. I didn't go to the extra books, but since we both read it, I had Beautiful World, Where Are You? 
Mm. Like Ruby pops up. Uh, the world. The world from Beautiful World, Where Are You? You know, because that book was just a lot of the, the world. characters just trying to, uh, how do you deal with the world as it is? It's such a bad place. And how do you be a, a good place. person? Contemporary literature often is dealing with it. So, and I thought of that this morning because I was rereading uh, the beginning of um, Time to Be Born, that first chapter. And that's so good. And it takes place at the beginning, like 1944, during the height of World War II. And it's great. It's well-written. She's being pretty sharp and funny about the state of things. And I, I for whatever reason, actually kind of liked Beautiful World, Where Are You? But I thought about that and I was like, if she's doing, Don Powell's doing this in World War II. And then I thought of, you know, just contemporary fiction, just being like, oh, the world, right? It's just like, you know what? Contemporary literature needs to step it up a little bit. Anyway, the villain, the world, uh, just the, the world from Sally Rooney, beautiful world. My favorite, personal favorite, is uh, Percy Boyce Denton from Fifth Business. Okay. My least favorite character. And not like, oh, I... You know what I mean? He is a villain. I like Croup and Vandemar. They're more straightforward, just dead. That's good. I would would say they are... But Percy, he does just use people throughout. He's charming, and he's not... Obviously. He lies a lot too. He's like well, he's, a repulsive liar. He's charming the way some sociopath. Yeah. He lies. He uses people. I think in the Manticore, it's his son in therapy because his dad was so messed up. Like so, uh, I could I could be talked into Percy. Okay, you want to do that? Yeah. Right. Next up, best character. All right. I have three. Yeah. Lord Elmsworth. Yeah. I think it's just a, a creation that sort of a centerpiece within a very great creation. So it's almost like he's just, I, I wouldn't say he does the most out of everybody I have nominated, but very funny character, odd character. Stuff bounces off of him and he makes it funnier. Uh, Hank Stamper. Very conflicting character, full of energy, full of you don't like him, you like him, you understand him, you don't. It's just probably the most realistic character I, we read last year, I would argue, in a way, like the most flawed yeah. and, you know, he's driven. He, I don't know, a lot, a lot going on with uh, old Hank Stamper. And then Francis Crawford of Lyman, uh, as far as creations and it's kind of you know the beginning of a six book series so i'm curious to see how that character evolves going forward because because i would think they're all you know who knows what happens in the later books but just a very memorable wasn't what i i was expecting something else and was pleasantly surprised by this uh it was sort of a slow burn with that character like kind of not great <laughs> like yeah, what his of, deal is. Yeah. yeah you weren't sure and i appreciated that like you weren't given the 
full character right away. It was a kind of you were like, you got to be patient with this because you you had a sense it would go the way it went, but you weren't exactly sure, right? He's uh, a bad reputation, and you're not sure how much of that's true. Is he like a villain, yes. or is he a misunderstood a good guy with some flaws? And it panned out nicely. Yeah, but it, I like the sort of it wasn't everything wasn't smooth. Like it wasn't like he's just an all around good guy or an all around bad guy. It was a I like I like that in that character. So uh, you kind of see correlations between him and uh, Hank Stamper in some ways. So those would and my personal favorite would be Hank Stamper. Okay. I have all three of yours yeah. on mine. I also have Austin Popper. Very good. He's, he's nah, such a fun character, con man. All his scenes are great when he shows up. Um, got Mrs. Dushko. Or however you say it from Drive Your Plow, and then I have Alex Karras from Paper Lion. Oh yeah, he's a pretty well drawn, funny character. A good, uh, a good example of like a writer drawing a full like in in the non fiction sense, right? Of mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways that Pumpkin does that in in that book. Of you get a good sense of people. Um, so that's almost a, a praising Plumpton as well as, yeah. yeah, he's he kind of led an interesting life when the book was yep. written, and he kind of got more interesting as you've kind of read about him. But no, that's good, yeah. He's probably not in it enough to be like to win this because he's not a main character, but I thought I'd throw him in there. So, um, I'm down for Hank Stamper, actually. I kind of agree with you, he's a flawed tragic hero who kind of carries the book uh yeah i think hank stamper should be maybe the clear winner here okay i agree with that i like that all right matt uh best scene in a book i'm proud of mine what's that i'm proud of mine okay the scene that stuck out for me and i talked about this in best twist it's a scene in the fifth business near the end. Yep. Um, I, that is one of the best scenes I've ever read. And I want to nominate for best scene, like not just this year. Um, the drowning scene and sometimes a great notion, that whole. Yeah. It's not just that, but there's a kind of a buildup and it's ripping. It's tragic. It's there's a lot like going on there. How slow it happens. Yeah. Joby gets trapped under a log and he's fine, but the water rises and he can't, it's just a big log. Yeah. It's well done. Uh, yeah. It's, it's rough. Um, I enjoyed the slow burn and sort of opening scene of drive your plow over the bones of the dead. Oh. Just the introduction to character. Right. And I, I always enjoy when you're trying to get a footing in a story. And I thought that was like a very good like the character names are all kind of different you're not sure like okay why are they she because they're your main characters naming people differently um and it's it's it kind of leads on to that to like show the setting and the time so that's kind of like a prolonged it would probably be like four minor scenes tied together uh but just that intro i think uh stuck with me as far as best scenes so 
Uh, I don't know what my, I would probably say the fifth business is something I'll probably remember the most, but sometimes a great notion that is just a hit you. Yeah. Yeah. So those would be my three scenes that I, so, all right, Matt, give me your favorite scenes. So I have, we overlap on the fifth business ending. Okay. And Joby's death. Okay. Those two. Uh, I also have when Jason breaks Neil Bros's calculator at the end of Black Swan Green. Very cathartic. I really like that scene. That's very good. Uh, he basically gets revenge on the bully. He stands up to him and kind of sets in motion some events in kind of a clever way. I, I really like that scene. Um, so this ties into my neat scene. This is towards the beginning of Lions of Lucerne. Scott Horvath has a, a, a thing he always does as a trained Navy SEAL and Secret Service agent. He puts a hair at the top of the door. And uh, if it's not at the top of the door, if it's on the ground, he knows somebody's in his room and he should be alert. Uh, after the president has been kidnapped, Scott Horvath has this system. He knows he's kind of being framed for the president's kidnapping and people are after him. He notices the hair is on the floor, so he knows somebody in, is in his room, and he goes in anyway, and sure enough, gets hit over the head of the pistol and knocked out. It, it's just, hey, and it has to happen. Brad Thor had set up the, the system with the hair previously, so you know it's coming. They're like, okay, how's Horvath going to handle this? And it's basically, oh, I'm tired. I got to go in anyway. <laughs> all right uh right I mean, can't knock him you can't knock him it's a great scene it needs to happen i guess um this austin popper's testimony to the texas state senate in mass oh that is actually fantastic is one of the funniest that's... things i read in a long time they're just the interplay the way they grill him i i can't even describe it, it oh should i put that that's good um the Austin Popper talks to him about how when he was a hobo, he got kidnapped by a bunch of left-wing women who were fattening him up to eat him. And the senators don't question it. They're just like, well, that's a good plan. No one, were you a hobo? Nobody would miss you? Uh, brilliant idea. And Austin like, Popper, it was, good, miss, enough. It was a like, good enough plan. And the senators just like, it was a sweet plan. <laughs> don't they uh, mess up his name? They keep calling him different names. Yeah. Like they get the information wrong and Popper's like, no, that's not correct. And they're like, so you say. Like it's just a brilliant interplay of just the way for is higher and human characterized. Yeah. There's other scenes that could have worked in Masters of Atlantis, but the Senate testimony probably stands out. And then um I really like the actors in Midsummer Night's Dream when they're talking amongst themselves about how good. The play is going to be so good and we're going to be so good in it. We need to add a little warning saying uh, this Pyramus and Thisbe. So there's a lion. And it's like, we're, the lion's going to be so realistic. The lords and ladies are going to be afraid that it's a real lion. So we need to have a, a disclaimer saying it's not a real lion. That's a really funny scene. Enjoy that. I'm not going to move for that one, but. But it's, I don't know. It's fun. It's funny. I think people miss the humor in that. 
just artists kind of ruining their work by adding little labels to it. Like this is true. That's true. It's true. Um, You like fifth business. I can make a strong case, I think, for the Austin Popper Senate testimony and Jason breaking the calculator. But fifth business is very strong. And you, you're talking Ramsey's office combined with the show later, the whole sequence. Yes. The one-two punch. Yeah. I go with that. Okay. I go with that. That's a yeah. It's pretty good. All right. That brings us to our final two. Let's do best writer. Uh I have five nominations here. Uh Dorothy Dunnett. Ken Kesey, Robertson Davies, Olga Tarkarchuk, and P.G. Woodhouse would be my best writers. Kind of criteria would be if I saw one of their works, I wouldn't really hesitate to pick it up. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to read the back. I wouldn't have to see, oh, what's what are they writing about? I kind of trust them to do something interesting. Either make me think, make me laugh, make me depressed. I think Olga Tokarczyk might be able to do that, but Kinkiezy's pretty depressing too, in a way. Uh, but so those were my the best five writers I thought from last year. For okay, read any. I have. Hmm? I know I left Shakespeare out. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I did too. He he kind of should be. But yeah, I mean, kind of put him off to the side. But I got Charles Portis. That's Old good. Karchek, Ken Kesey, PG Woodhouse, and David Mitchell. Oh, yeah, that's no. my bad. <laughs> I mean, he's one of, one of my those... favorite authors. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he's he and Toka Cruz is still alive, but David Mitchell, like, whenever he has a new one out, I'm like buying it, no questions asked. You know. It's... Yeah. It's a, this is tough. I don't know this if we can good. come to a. It's like, well, I can make a case for Portis, too. Yeah. Uh, Kesey's been winning everything. And almost in the logic of how the Oscars work, it feels like momentum's building for him. But then Woodhouse, very strong. Yeah, Robertson Davies is strong, too, I have to say. Because some of this, I say the category's best writer. Sometimes it's like the best surprise. I would say Dunnett and Davies were the biggest surprise for me. And, uh, you know, I Mitchell, felt that way. Black Swan Green is like one of my favorite books, and by one of my favorite. So exactly. Uh, well, the structure of that's really interesting. Like not like yeah. overly complex, but just sort of how it's done. It's PG um, Woodhouse was also a very big surprise. Portis. So this is a tough, like, yeah. I go back to the prose thing, Kesey's prose in the story. Probably if I was just, it was just me, like, if I had to pick one, he would probably win for me. But there's a, I don't know. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Because sometimes you're also thinking the- about their whole works and how much you've read. So I'm, I know, I've read more David Mitchell You've read more Charles Portis. I've, I've read more Tokarczuk. You've read more PG. So it's, sometimes it's hard to just be the one thing we read. Do you want to officially make it that? The one thing we read? 
Or do you want to take in their ooh, ooh ah? Because if it's the one thing, I go back to Ken Kesey, and it's. Oh, we got to make it. Let's do Kesey. Okay. Got to make it Kesey. Maybe it should be David Mitchell. Yeah. See, this, this is hard. This is the Oscars are hard. Yeah. Well, that's they have multiple people. They have like hundreds of actors voting. There you go. All right. So we end with the best book. And my nominations are as follows. Not going to be that surprising. The Game of Kings, Sometimes a Great Notion, Fifth Business, and Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. I know I didn't put... Now I guys, Black Swan Green should probably be on there. I wonder if I'm, I'm discounting it because I've read it twice now. And I'm like, oh, I, I only want new stuff. Yeah. Hey. All right. Well, mull it over. Here's my, I have Master of Atlantis, yeah. Drive Your Plow, Sometimes a Great Notion, and Black Swan Green. It's good. My personal thing is Sometimes a Great Notion was the best book I read last year. Okay. I won't argue. Just as a, it's a book, and if you haven't read it, you'll encounter some people, and I've encountered two people last year, I think, who are like, oh, yeah, it's one of my favorite books. Sort of like older, like family friend, and then I think my father-in-law said that just like, oh, yeah, that's, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, sometimes you hear that, and you're like, oh, because I, I never, it's never really brought up, right, in a lot of, like, literary circles, like, that's not something i was yeah. taught to in yeah. like in an english class in college or whatever you you hear one flew over the cuckoo's nest it's mm -hmm. a more famous work it's a more digestible work i would say it's i was gonna say it's not even kesey's most famous novel it has the yeah it's the most famous sort of possibly one of the more famous like movie adaptations comes from yeah. you know that yeah. but sometimes a great notion is like holy cow like to compare the two, I would say sometimes a great notion because I read both and I'd have to reread, you know, um, one flew of the cuckoo's nest, but I just, it's to me like a much more impressive work. So, uh, but it's tough because I, I don't want to shortchange any of the other stuff. So mm -hmm. I get the feeling black swan green should have won more. I think master of Atlantis. Yeah. Should have won, but you know what, but the logic of the Oscars, is sometimes a great notion was a big epic and yeah, that, that for whatever helps. reason yeah. judging things and voting on things for whatever reason i think it just there's lonesome dove won last year didn't it yeah i think just something about the big epics that win the prizes and that's no different this year right well it's fun it's very fun because it's fun to think about and i think it's uh but yeah you're right the the, the major epics the big because I think you made uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, what did we do this once? We've done this. Is this our third time, or is there only our second time? Second time okay. for the official Oscars, but it's yeah. Hey, buckle up! I got some ancillary stuff. It's not like official it. categories, but we got to do. So last year we did the whole "Can you flashman somebody?" Yeah, and I was thinking about it, but then I realized. David Mitchell actually did that yeah. with yeah. Hugh Lamb. Our minor 
bull, like kind of jerk cousin is a major villain in the bone clocks. So that is pretty much exactly what flashman somebody is and has been done. I like that. By a sadly neglected book Oscar author. The only other thing I thought was, and I think the books were going to read the second book, but like the fifth business, the Deptford trilogy. I, I feel like, like, could you do that with the, um, the mom who sleeps with the kind of guy in the well, quarry? Maybe we have like, to see do like a yeah. random weird. There's a lot of like random yeah. characters in that book or the hobo from the rock core. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. And we got to finish the series to see if it actually see if like, Oh, maybe they come back or whatever. like I say, the magician, the, in the third one world of wonders, it's the, the Paul kid, the son, the second one's the son of Percy, the magician, the, 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 what's no, the, the son of the woman who got hit by the rock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The sun is the magician. So the magician, yeah. we have to see how that pans out. But yeah, that's also ripe for spinoffs. Um, I want to ask you, the best movie version that you saw of the nominations, what's the strongest movie? Or your favorite? Favorite. So what would that, that would only be one. There's, there's several. I don't know if we, you like, we didn't officially watch all of them let me pull this up hold on because I, I we watched sometimes great notion yep uh i thought the book was much better well the book's better but i i like the movie for what it was i haven't seen eight men out i would be curious about that okay yeah that's uh, a good, it's a good movie it's neverwhere a um neverwhere is a mini series it's not very good but they did make one they made a hogfather bbc miniseries um, I would also be curious about Foundation. Yeah, I don't and know. a possible uh, Red and the Black. Yeah, that's an old seventies movie. Okay. No, I actually I have sometimes a great, great notion, and I really like the Midsummer Night's Dream. With oh, uh, that would probably be with Stanley Tucci and Michelle Pfeiffer. That's yeah. a good adaptation. Yeah. Okay. So those two, I. Yeah. And sometimes a great notion was I think well cast. And this is, I thought it was good for what it was. You can't do the whole book in a movie, yeah. but I thought it was a good adaptation. No, yeah. Just play it's... I'd, I'd watch it again. It was good. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. The movie, out of all these books, what's the movie or TV series you're most desperate to, for them to actually make? Hmm. Would you want to see? They would want to see. It's hmm, something popped in my head, but I don't think it's actually possible. Well, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. <laughs> I, I like, remember from doing research, they're sold. Somebody has the rights. I don't know if they're making as it. far as like a. It would take a the huge effort to turn that into a. Like it, but I was thinking it's the most challenging, but also the would be the most like drive your plow over the, i mean i would watch that movie but i kind of know what it would look like yeah. i don't really know what a black leopard red wolf would look like they did it right it might actually be more comprehensible because the individual <laughs> yes. medium would be like oh, yeah okay, i think the, the book is very visual in all of its yeah but also if you remember it would also be very difficult to adapt like a one-to-one -one thing just 
by oh, some yeah. content of the of the uh like it would be very sexual in a lot of ways that I don't It'd think have to be on HBO. Yeah. yeah. Um I got Game of Kings. Thought of that, yeah. And Flashman. I'd like to see him do That's a good point. Either of those. Game of Kings probably. Flashman, I don't think they'd make. What about like a Xenophon? Like a That'd Brad, be awesome. Brad Pitt. Old, I don't know. Big old epic. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome too. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of stuff out there, guys. Doesn't have to all be Marvel movies. <laughs> those are kind uh, of faltering nowadays. We had last year, it was the Duncan Idaho. I expected this character to do more. Oh, yeah. I like the idea of that being a recurring thing, but I don't, I couldn't think of anybody who fits that category. So, unless you say different, I think. What about Arthur Rothstein? Didn't you feel like he was a bigger part of that story? You know what? Yeah, it's not quite the same, but it turns out. Not the same, but yeah. But from eight men out, it turns out he actually didn't fix the World Series. He just kind of gambled on it once he knew the fix was in. But he didn't orchestrate it. Okay, you know what? I was going to say the title stays with Duncan until somebody takes it from him. But no, you know what? I like Ross. One of the reasons, like, we want to read it. You had the tie. You were going to read the secondary book. You did. And he wasn't, like, as... Yeah. He was almost too competent. (laughs) Like... There were a he, lot. Of, I almost get the sense from the book, and I don't think it was stated, but like he sensed that this was going to so unravel, yeah. and he was like, "I'm going to keep my name kind of off to the side here." Nick Tosh's uh, in the book I read about yeah. him pretty much states that explicitly. Okay. He, the guy, one of the our most one of our most incompetent uh, people from Eight Men Out worked for Arnold Rothstein in a lower level assumed Rothstein would be in it to fix. So orchestrated the fix before Rothstein knew about it and thought he was going to be convinced, like Rothstein will be convinced because he doesn't have to do any work. The fix is already in. But Rothstein, knowing the fix was already in, said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't agree with fixing sports. Go away. And then he knew what was happening anyway, so he just bet on it. So he actually, despite the reputation for for fixing the world series he just gambled on it once he knew it was happening and his underling was very uh unastute psychologically for not seeing that's exactly what would happen he should have said hey this won't happen unless you fund unless you like help us a lot of people that's another thing they didn't have the funds to pay the players because the guy was banking on (laughs) rothstein bankrolling it but rothstein knew the fix was in and so refused to bankroll it and so the fix wasn't but they couldn't pay off the players and so the players were like didn't throw the game as well as they could have because they weren't being paid. It was just a disaster. Very, very funny. incompetent. Very but that's a good okay. Arnold Rothstein is the Duncan Idaho. I expected this character to do more. That's per see, I'm glad I ran this by you. That's Thank perfect. You. Yeah, yeah. Um best cameo. Lincoln in Flash. Yeah. Back. I went straight shows up. Yeah. Very good portrayal of Lincoln too. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Kind of like, it's always good with Flashman. You're like, oh, hey. Look at that. Historical figure. I know that guy. Yeah. Um, I think that would win, yeah. uh, Best house. The Stamper's house on the river. Very good. That's a cool house. 
based on a real house, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I don't know if they filmed the movie version there. The house in the movie is cool too, but the description of the house. The description of the house seems like it's about to fall in the river. Like, I think it, it yeah. in theory, it would be in the river now. Yeah. Like that house from the 60s, I think it's, and that's, you know, symbolism. That's also there you go. the world, the river, like crushing in on your old way of life. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. Okay. Well, this has been an epic Oscar night here at There Will Be Books. One of our longer and more, you know, I think this will be a running tradition here at the podcast, the second annual. It's uh, fun to do. Let us know if you, as the listeners, like it. But hey, we like to do like it. Our, like our fantasy sports drafts, it's fun to do. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, I think it's a little bit more enjoyable for the listener than our fans. Those are definitely just for us. I think, uh, but actually we have gotten some good f- feedback about creating your own fantasy sports team with authors and characters. Uh, Matt, do you have the energy to pick a March book real quick? I do. If you do, podcast too long. It's yeah. just whether we have the energy to plow through. I let's. Uh, I, I'm going to give you. I for some reason have six books. Okay. I'm just going to list these off, okay? And you can just kind of make a mental note after each one, and then I will let you go with your I, – you, I believe you said you have three nominations, right? So look out. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this is going to be a little bit different. We're not – we're going to get a great book out of this, okay? Yeah, but we got to pick a March – it's March 20th right now. we got to pick a hey, March. Yeah, yeah. March Madness. Uh, all right, first book, history book. I bought this book when we worked at uh, Barnes & Noble, Okay. Oh. And now I was probably 15 years ago. History book, Henry V in the Battle of Made England. The title is called Agincourt by Juliet Barker. From, uh, I don't really know much about this famous battle. Uh, the English were vastly outnumbered by the French. Um, the English had archers and they were fighting armored French knights and they won. Yeah. Does that sound correct? So I have this book. So I've been on my bookshelves for about 15 years. I should probably read it at some point. I thought you might be interested in it. I am. I like that. Yeah. All right. Next up. Winner of the Pulitzer Prize. Great modern literary author. I think you would like him. I've only read one of his books, and I thought it was fantastic. Uh, the author is Colson Whitehead. The book is Nickel Boys. One of his nice. recent books. Uh, I'm not going to do it. All right, this one is for you. Actually, I'm going to leave that because that's for you. Uh, the best short story collection I've ever read. I think I've nominated it before. Uh, Interpreter of Maladies by Jumpa Lahiri. Yeah. I read it in college and I reread it fairly recently. It is fantastic. I don't think you read this. Next book is a Reese Witherspoon book club book. All right. Don't say. Don't say. Uh, no, it's not what you're thinking. It is a, I would say she's pretty one of the more well-known, famous, uh, modern literary lit fic, as you would say, authors. Uh, it's, the book is Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. She wrote Little Fires Everywhere, which they turned into an HBO series. This is her newest book. Um, kind of a, a dystopian look at America. That's what I gather. This book is very long. I brought this book to Europe. 
it was in my it was uh, in my luggage for six weeks. Haven't finished it. I've started it, I think, three or four times, and that would be the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shabon. Yeah. Next selection, Burr, Orvidal. <sighs> Those are my six books. I went through them fairly quickly. But where are we at, Matt? Well, yep. I mean, I know what it's going to be. Interpreter Maladies jumped out at me. It's a fantastic, she's a fantastic writer. She yeah. really is. I, uh, I wish she wrote more, but. Uh, didn't she write one in Italian? Was her she latest did. one like yeah. in Italian? Yeah, she learned Italian, wrote a book. I read a book about her, like, you can get a, a version of that book where one page is in Italian, the other page is in English. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, all right, Matt, what are your three now? All right. So, this was going to also work better in person because I was just going to hand you the copy and let you see it, like, the okay. game better like that. Yeah. But I want you to have the Google machine handy. Google machine, got it. Read you the title and author, and you just kind of read the brief description that comes up. Got it. We'll, we'll try to make the gimmick work. All right. You hear my son resist bedtime. <laughs> he's uh, like, you guys have been recording. Don't worry. He's okay. He's just... He's mad. He's having... Yeah. <laughs> All right. E.W. Horning, H-O-R-N-U-N-G. Raffles, the amateur cracksman. I didn't get that last name. It could be complete. How do you pronounce E W? How do you pronounce it? Okay, just type in Raffles, the amateur cracksman. See, once again, I could have just handed you the book. Yeah, uh, this is. I'm not sure this is a great, great podcast in here. Raffles is it? I've never even heard of this book. Oh wow, this is a like uh, Penguin classic here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, gentleman thief Raffles is daring, debonair, devilishly handsome, and a first-rate cricketer. In these eight stories, the master burglar indulges his passion for cricket and crime, stealing jewels from a country house at winning the law, pilfering the. This actually sounds very pretty good. <laughs> I've never heard of this at all. So that's cool, right? Uh, cricketer, upper class cricketer, who's also a cat burglar. It sounds almost in the in the vein of P.G. Woodhouse, right? I know, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. You ready? Got the Google machine ready? Well, I'm writing this one down because someone might want to pick. So. Okay. I mean, we're gonna pick Orville, but I'm just gonna. Okay. Next up. Count Brass by Michael Moorcock. Count Brass. Yeah, this one up. The series it looks like. Very interesting cover. I have this has no information on this Matt. Oh, okay. It says no. it's the fourteenth, the fourteenth and final volume of an epic. Michael Moorcock wrote a lot of stuff and I read somewhere he doesn't even know how many books he read because it was published in serials and magazines in like the 60s. Oh, okay. 
to your son in the background. Uh, I'm gonna go. This looks like a fantasy series. If my yeah, okay. fantasy series. I got a, a cool old version. See the ad for cigarettes in the middle. There you go. Oh wait, cool. I got the Google machine. Guy. The Google machine just froze on me. I would hate if we lost this episode at this final hour. Ooh, yeah. All right. Hold on. Okay. Is that gonna happen? No, 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 no. I I shouldn't have put that out into the world. But I gotta okay. close this Count Brass thing because I opened up some sort of like fan Wikipedia page. Oh and, yeah. Uh, it almost shut down my whole computer. Okay. <laughs> Two hours in. All right, last book. All right. Uh, Wall of Serpents by L. Sprague de Camp. Wall of Serpents. Yeah. I'll read it. His name was Harold Shea, and he lived, quite simply, in Ohio. Though he'd found his wife, Belphoebe, in an Elizabethan wood and lost two friends to the lures of Xanadu. And unless one of them, Pete the cop, showed up soon back in Ohio, Harold would be under arrest for kidnapping an officer of the law. Yeah. They said, uh, yeah, I, the theme was cool 1960s, 70s editions? Sort of. Okay. And then maybe, maybe I have something I really want to do for April, so I was going to let you have March, maybe. Hey, um, <laughs> Actually, what do you want to read? The amateur cracksman sounds halfway good. That does sound actually. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were doing all like, yeah. Uh, so I think we're gonna pick one of my books. Yeah, uh, and I, if you hadn't have done Burr, I'd be down for interpretive maladies. Well, but I, I want to do, it, you know. Do you not want to rush Gorf at all? This is the second or third time I've nominated. And he's your favorite author. No. Have you? I think so. I might have nominated this book before. You haven't nominated Burr before. What was the other? I own two or three of them. Burr's good. Burr's very good. It's not your favorite, though. It is my base. I mean, it's my favorite of his historical. He's had seven. uh, Burr, Lincoln, 1876, Empire, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., and the Golden Age. I think think Golden Age is what I nominated. Yeah, that's not where you'd start. You want to start with Burr. Uh, chronologically, he wrote Washington, D.C. first. Uh, but uh, I guess chronologically, Burr start is like the oldest. And that's where I'd recommend starting. So Burr. Interpreter of Maladies is a short story collection. It's very, it's not very long. So if you're worried about length and time and everything goes into reading all these books we have. You want that? We gotta do Burr. I don't want to put this off. It's really tempting though to do interpreter maladies just for kind of something different. To it's really good. You've heard of her, right? Very yeah. good. Yeah, that's been on my list of things to read for. Let's do Burr. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. We're I can't doing... turn down. Like I can't turn it down. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. And this is how we're ending the episode too with this this selection. Yeah, music's playing right now, and we have finally chosen after three years of the podcast. Yeah, we're finally getting around to Gore Vidal. We're coming up to Matt's favorite author, 
Kind of like the reason, not maybe he's not the reason we started the podcast, but like we want to talk about our favorite authors. We haven't done Michael and Dante, one of my favorite authors. Uh, we are going to do Gore Vidal's book, Burr. Mm-hmm. Part of his historical series. Matt, uh, you're, we're two hours into this maybe. How do you feel? You got Gore Vidal. I feel good. I'm, I'm happy that happened. Um... I honestly, it'll counter some of the pro Hamilton nonsense that's been uh, circulating in the culture these last five years. So, you should like it. It's good. I'm, I've read it a long time ago. I'm happy to revisit it. It's basically, it burrs the guy who killed Alexander Hamilton and kind of has a reputation as the villain of American history. And this is from Burr's perspective. And it's another, it's another take on it where you kind of get, it's like, oh, he's not kind of like we talked about earlier like maybe he's not the bad guy maybe he's just got a bad rap bad reputation because he's an almost he was almost president he was the vice president it, it's interesting there's be, there'll be a lot to dive into uh it's pretty it's historical fiction but it's pretty accurate okay so it'll it'll be plenty it could even be a two-parter depending on how there's a lot to get into and i'm excited i'm i'm humbled and honored and I want to thank Peter for nominating the book. Um, well, we have a lot of books to come before that. So we will get to this in probably the next month or two. So if, if you're listening along, that's kind of the time frame. Maybe we might get pushed back. Who knows? We, my we dad, uh, my dad, I talked to him the other night because, you know, we're, we have to read Jay Bear Crow. Oh, yeah. Because he won the football bracket. And he was like, I guess you guys, the brackets don't mean anything. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? You're like, you haven't read Jay Bear Crow yet. I was like, that was two weeks ago. Like, we're still, it's March. And I like, haven't started one of our January books. You just posted our December book. And you're like, you haven't I, finished your book in two weeks. It's like, I got news for you, buddy. <laughs> like, you know, Jay Bear Crow might be. This we will summer. read Jay Bear Crow by the time next football season starts. Yeah. If you're lucky, <laughs> uh, just everybody calm down. Uh, we have a lot of books to read right now. This is usually the time where I re- list them all. Uh, I'm not going to do that tonight. Yeah. Uh, just be on the lookout for some good stuff. Some really good stuff. Don Powell's coming around the bend, and if you haven't read Don Powell, you really need to. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's going to, I'm already looking, we're reading what's going to become next year's book Oscar episode. Oh, I'm yeah. Already looking forward to it. Yes, I totally agree. So, uh, hopefully, you all, everybody liked one of this, uh, the book Oscars. It's very fun to do, and I think it's uh, people can do it with their own books that they read. Um, so, we will be back here shortly within the next week or so. So, uh, once again, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.